And welcome to another episode of Impact, our podcast here at MUHSD. It is the uh, towards the end of May that we are recording this, and in the studio, we're actually in the studio this time. We've been doing some Zoom um, episodes just because of the uh, whole uh, in social distancing thing, but we are socially distant here in the studio. I have with me Mr. Uh, Peterson, superintendent for MUHSD, and uh, first-time guest, Dr. Scott Weimer. He is the assistant superintendent uh, in charge of business services. Did I get that correct? You did. All right, perfect. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for coming back, Mr. Peterson. We're here uh, to talk about something that uh, we had a special board meeting. Actually, two reasons. We're going to talk about the budget outlook, and then we're going to talk about what we have as far as uh, reopening um, schools back up in the fall. Um, As many are aware, we closed down in March, and that went through the remainder of this school year, and now attention is turning towards when and how um, that will happen when August comes around. But uh, Dr. Weimer is here to talk to us about the budget. And uh, Mr. Peterson, please uh, chime in with uh, anything you care to add. Um, so the first question uh, I want to ask is, um, we did have the, the special board meeting about the budget outlook, and it was, for lack of a better uh, phrase, pretty grim. So I think the first question is, how, how did we get to this point? I mean, was it something that was brought on by COVID? Or was it, you know, the outlook it was, you know, it looked like we were going to take a, um, a slide and, and COVID kind of exacerbated uh, that. Um, just uh, tell us how we got to this point. Well, the, the special board meeting is a, a meeting we have every year. Uh, sure. It's a study session for the budget uh, at the end of May because we have to adopt our budget in June and we'll have two meetings for that. Um, yes, certainly this year uh, uh, we are dealing with an extreme situation. Um, our district is, is, uh, going to experience, um, some, some deep cuts in operations. Um, but we're going to be okay, uh, uh, this next year as far as personnel. So if you have, um, folks out there that, um, are, are really stressed out about this and worried about their job, they can relax as long as, the news doesn't get any worse than what we have heard. Got it. So the governor uh, came out with the May revise, and uh, basically it was around a, a 10% uh, cut, no matter how you slice it. Uh, plus, we have, uh, you know, obviously ongoing uh, expenses with step and column and that sort of thing. So it's a, a little bit higher for us, around 12 and uh, Mr. Weimer can speak to the details of that, uh, but the meeting was about uh, bringing the board up to speed on the issues. Um, we kind of pre- pre- presented a phased approach, um, and we will be setting up a, a committee uh, that will include uh, all of our stakeholders um, and employee groups and to come up with the best solutions possible for our district. Okay. And I'm glad you brought up that this uh, special budget meeting is an annual thing. Um, but, you know, for people who aren't uh, aware of that, just something that, you know, they do do these budget. And Dr. Weimer, this is what well, you like to refer to yourself as the Debbie Downer at various meetings. And um, this is the time of year when, when the school year is winding down. This is when the budget uh, really starts, uh, you know, firing up. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, the, the budget behind the scenes uh, starts to get going really in January. Uh, in January, the governor uh, issues his budget for the year, and it's a projection based on where things are at at that time. Okay. This was the going to be the first year where everything pretty much balanced out. For the last couple 
six, seven years, we've been seeing increases to LCFF to get us out of the last recession. We've seen increased funding from the state continually each year. This was going to be the first year where the cost of living adjustment that the state gave us was basically going to cover the costs of our increased expenses. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty much going to be everything from the previous year just kind of moved forward into the next year. And and that's what we were expecting back in January. Okay, one second. I don't just want to push the mic a little bit closer because you're cutting it a a little bit. In and out. There you go. All right. So do I do the whole thing over? No, no, you're, you're fine. Go ahead. So in January, that's where we thought we would be pretty much moving into next year with a regular cost of living increase, uh, step in column and any other types of increases that automatically happen, increases in fuel costs or any of those types of things would pretty much equal what we would be getting from the state and we would just be moving on uh, as we were for this past year. That all changed in March um, as, as everything started to shut down and we saw that things were going to be different. Uh, we did not get the real information uh, from the state until the May revise. So we've only had that for about two weeks now. And we do have a lot of unknowns. We always have to make our budget based on the best information that we have at any given time. Mm -hmm. And we don't have a choice. We can't delay. We have to pass our budget in June, regardless of whether or not we have the, the actual information that's going to be there when the next year starts. We have to go by the estimates that we've been given. Right. And right now, the governor's revise is probably the absolute worst case scenario. So we do have to build our budget off of that because that's all we know. A, a couple of bright lights uh, that are going on right now that are probably going to mean we don't have to make as many cuts um, and it's not going to be as bad as we think it is in these discussions is that the legislature is coming up with different ideas than the governor on where they want the budget to be. The problem with that, of course, is they don't have to pass the budget till June 15th, mm-hmm. and then we don't get the details for a couple weeks after that, which is after we already have to uh, pass our budget. Got it. And our budget has to say we can pay our bills for three years. Mm-hmm. So we might have to put some things originally in the budget that we can take those cuts back out as soon as we get that information from the state uh, on, on how that's going to be. And so the state legislature wants to fund a lot more of education for next year than the governor had in his budget. They had a much more rosy projection of where things were going to be. However, part of their idea is to give us IOUs. They call it deferrals. We all know of it as, you know, I'll have a hamburger today and pay you tomorrow, (laughs) you know. Uh, But that's the type of situation that we would get into for for that. Um, Basically, they're doing it for us right now. We are not going to get a payment in June from the state. We still have to pay our bills. They'll give it to us in July or August. And Hmm. so we have to cover everything while they're waiting to give us that money back. Um, The other news is just, I believe it was either this morning or yesterday, uh, the leader of the United States Senate said that they would be looking at coming up with another federal assistance package, but they aren't going to be looking at it until the end of June. Well, (laughs) If they start looking at it at the end of June, that means they're not going to know until mid-July, end of July. We start classes the middle of August. You know, we we can't count on that money. Yeah, We we can know that that conversation is going on. And how can we quickly backfill with that money any types of cuts that we might have made uh, to to make that work out? The House of Representatives put a bill forward, which was $1 trillion to help out uh, state and local governments. Uh Uh-huh. Um, the president and the Senate said dead on arrival. They weren't interested in that. However, there is a bipartisan group in the Senate that is talking about 500 billion. 
So it, it does look like we will be getting some more assistance from the federal government. We just don't know what it is until the middle of July or late July. So some of the cuts and things that we're talking about now, we most likely will be able to offset with some of that money if, once we know what it is. Got it. Okay. And so it's um, from what I'm hearing is, um, and we, I mentioned this at, a, at another meeting where there were a, a group of school districts, some of the largest school districts in the state that uh, put together a, a letter or something and sent it up to Sacramento saying, this isn't going to work. You know, we, you're asking us to take more precautions, um, added, um, you know, things to keep students safe, yet you're cutting the budget. That's not going to work, right? You're familiar with that letter? Yes. Okay. Um, we have advocacy groups that we follow and that we work with, and, and they were part of that as well. Okay. Um, okay. But um, so potentially there, um, we do have to put out a budget. That's just, that's just, you know, straight. However, there could, it may not, or it most likely will not be what ends up, it ends up looking like. Correct. Correct. Because um, of, yeah. we have to put out a budget based on what we know, which is the worst case scenario right now, knowing that most likely between June and the start of the school year, and even into September, things are going to change and we're going to be able to make adjustments. Okay. Um, and so the presentation at the board meeting was based on what we know. And so that um, people watching and, and obviously the board, you know, it's, it's just like, once you see it, it's like, whoa, no, no, this, no, that, you know, how do we, you know, it, but um, it's just something you want to make sure that they're aware of. But you also were, you also went into detail like you just did where it's probably not going to be this. However, this is what we have to present for the, to meet the June deadline. Correct. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Um, so some of these particulars we are looking at are how, how does it work? Like, how do you, cause I know that some people on the outside, they just see the end product. A lot of people don't know what goes into putting together a budget. Um, so how do you, I mean, you have to prioritize, right. Um, and, but there are some things on there that people, um, watching and board members were just like, you know, you know, the, the SRO yep. thing was a big deal, you know, and that's just, it's, it's, it's a menu. It's not like, we're not saying, you know, we're going to not have SROs. We're saying this is what it costs to have SROs and looking at the budget and you working with the numbers in order to make those numbers work. It was, you know, it's one of those things that's on the menu. So how do you, how do you come up with that menu? What, what's your plan? So basically when we're looking at things, we're going to take what we've done the last couple of years. So we know what our expenses are on a variety of things. And then we also look at what do we, what has been new over the last couple of years. So we talk about some of the discretionary money that sites have gotten. What is that going to imply and what is that going to mean? Well, if we go back four to five years, everything ran without that funding. So those get you things like I'm going to be able to get new jerseys, new band uniforms, um, a few of those things on a, on a sooner rotation, on a faster rotation, maybe than you'll be able to do over the next year or two. It's not whether or not the programs actually run. It's what types of extra things and how often can they replace things and get things that are new and those types of things or even expand. That probably will slow down if they don't have those funds, but programs would not get cut based on those because we had those programs prior to that funding being given to the sites about four to five years ago. Okay. Ms. Peterson, you care to add anything to that as far yeah, as? I, I just, I think the most important thing for people to know is you know, we don't expect this to be uh, the long slog that the Great Recession was, you know, from 2008 basically to 2013-14. Um, we expect it to be uh, two years and then hopefully uh, start to recover on that third year. Um, 
So, you know, we're not going to make drastic decisions around personnel um, or, or programs that we have spent years building um, and, and, and quickly tear them down to meet a budget. We're going to uh, uh, build a, a budget that's going to work, that's going to get certified, and it's going to include a lot of operational cuts, and people will not be happy about that because that's money for their programs, but we, we have to cut somewhere. And so that's where the majority will come. Uh, and then we have a phased approach if we need to go deeper, which uh, could include, uh, you know, bumping up class sizes. Um, and so th- there's different possibilities that the, the budget group will, will work through. Um, but it's going to be uh, smart and surgical, and we're going to keep it away from the classroom uh, the, the very best we can. So another good example of, of what we're talking about would be like the technology refresh, the one that is on there, mm-hmm. that, that'll kind of give people an idea of what we're talking about. So we have a five-year, what we call a refresh cycle. So we go through expecting our computer labs, our servers, our network infrastructure to last five years, and we replace it on a five-year basis before anything goes bad so that we don't have issues where we, we have to fix things as they break. Simply by taking that and going from five years to a seven-year cycle would get us the savings that we're looking at that was on there. That doesn't mean we're going to stop doing it forever. That just means instead of doing a five-year cycle, we move it to a seven-year cycle and we'd be able to save about $500,000 in the next year and probably even the following year. We still have our servers. We still have our network. Nobody's going to notice that until something goes down and then we have to fix it right on the spot. Mm -hmm. But nobody's going to see that type of a cut. If that were to extend into year three, year four, year five, then we would have to worry about things really starting to break down and being fixing things as they break and people noticing that. But we're probably going to be able to take something like that and go from a five-year rotation to a seven-year rotation, and most people won't even notice a cut like that. Okay. So, yeah, um, your presentation is still on the uh, on the board um, agenda website, and you can get that off our website, which is muhsd.org, and look for board meetings, and you'll it'll lead you to the your presentation where you have everything spelled out, all the numbers, um, you know, what it would take to make it work under the current situation. Um, sections came up, cutting sections. And for me, uh, still a newbie to the world to world of education, what is the section? And it was recommended that possibly eight sections at each site. Like, what does that mean, sections? So sections are the number of periods that are given to teachers. And so most teachers teach a five-period day under our contract. You can get a six-period day if you are going to be able to teach six classes because we have student signups for that. We also have people who are um, have sections that are not uh, with students. So we do have instructional coaches. We have teacher librarians. We have counselors. Uh, we have our induction program, which is how our new teachers clear their credential. We have a variety of things like that. All of those make up sections. Mm-hmm. And so we give sites sections at the beginning of the year or actually they get them around February for the next year mm-hmm. based on student signups and then you dish the sections out based on how many kids they have and then you get a variety of different situations you know can you rent a class of 12 um, if you have 32 students in an English class can you go up to 36 
those types of things are what happens when you start reducing sections. You start looking at classes that have really low class, uh, really uh, low class sizes. You look at um, other areas where you have lots of sections, where if you take one section away, it might only bump up the class size a little bit. And then you look at sections that don't have uh, students in them, and you try to see how you can reduce those. Okay, because yeah, I hear about um, certain subjects having multiple sections, and I wasn't really sure. So they would just, if you were to cut those down it would just be more students in each class basically yeah from a 10,000 foot view if you you know we section it around 31 32 um if you sectioned at 34 35 well theoretically that's about 10 percent right so you need 10 percent less sections now it doesn't work out perfectly like that uh, uh, because you know some of our classes require uh, our shop classes. You can't have you know thirty five kids in a classroom, but an English cl- class you can. A special ed classroom, you can't have that many uh, students uh, in. So there's a balance to it, um, but in theory, when you take your your um, the number that you start with let's say it's 32, and you bump that up a little bit, well, you're going to create some savings there. So we try to stay away from that. Uh, Obviously, uh, every teacher and administrator wants their uh, classes to be as low as possible. Um, But it it all depends on the budget. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, That's, I mean, that's great insight, because for someone on the outside who just, they see the cuts, and they don't know, you know, they, they're, they're just thinking that, you know, it was just picked at random or just, you know, there is a, a method to that madness. And that's absolutely that is great to hear. Um, so something again, I touched on it earlier, SROs, that that was a kind of a hot discussion there. Um, obviously, tell me the implications, obviously, of having uh, SROs there. I mean, and, you know, obviously the, the in the current climate, you know, it's, it's a great, um, you know, deterrent. Um, what was that discussion like at the board meeting? Um, it, it basically, one, I'm not sure people understood how much we do spend on their SROs. So I think that was a little bit of a eye opener for, for a lot of people, but I, I think that the board, at least the ones I could read on a zoom call, which is oftentimes <laughs> hard to see, you know, get people's, uh, facial expressions and those types of things, yeah. you know, be able to read things on a zoom call is a little bit harder. Um, there's a lot of parts to that. People like the security of having an officer on campus. Um, it is a good cooperation. It is a good coordination between us and the cities, and it and it helps us work well together. It just, with that much money, it has to be at least looked at. And so we have to at least be looking at all of the different options and then weighing them against each other. So when we say, yes, this is definitely something we want, okay, when we get to those other slides, that means that's how much it's worth. We have to find cuts somewhere else that would equal that type of an amount. Okay. Yeah, everyone needs to understand in a budget discussion, every, all discretionary funding is on the table. So, you know, that was the menu. This is everything. Is everything going to be cut? No, of course not. Right. Um, and there's middle ground. You, sure. you know, do you need an SRO at every school site? Well, in an ideal world, yes, you do. And we've had that ideal situation. Okay, well, we don't have the ideal situation anymore. or We're not going to have that, that next year. So do we need one in each city? 
one in Atwater, one in Livingston, and 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 one in Merced. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's an in between um, uh, also, and um, um, so again, these are just uh, discussion points so that committee can you know make a solid recommendation to the board, and obviously the the board's going to have the last say on it. So okay. Um, yeah, and yeah. then this is again could change. You know, it's just yeah. so we have something down in June, um, and, and part of that is also making sure we understand this could be a multiple year discussion. Mm-hmm. If the things don't turn around in the state for two years, and this affects us for three years worth of budget, we have to be talking about things now that might not be a cut this year, but might be a, more of a discussion next year or the following year. And so when we start getting closer to that idea of okay, are we going to be letting our own liaisons go? Are we going to be letting some other position go? Now we have to know what we're paying for these other things to make sure we're having real conversations about what our options are when we get to that point. Okay. Yeah. And I do want to get to into the fact that it did, it did you also have in this um, presentation, it, it may not, it should the economy turn around and, you know, things, you know, but then, you know, we do have to look at the next year and, and that could be even worse. Right. Um, so I want to get into that, but first I want to talk about, um, uh, fall sports, um, how that factors into the budget, where you're at with that. Um, I mean, I know we would love to have them, but if we don't have them, I mean, that's a savings, right? Yeah, I can take the budget part, and then Mr. Peterson can talk a little bit yeah, more on I, where I, we are. I mean, in that we range. have to, again, list that in the, uh, the budget process as, yeah, there is a possibility there is not fall sports. Um, due to the COVID, COVID. not, not the budget. No, of course not. Right. I just want to make that clear. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) That would never happen. Right. Um, you know, and I, I have been advocating very strongly with CIF to, um, get out in front of this and make schools feel comfortable. They need to come out and say, Hey, We're going to offer athletics, and we're going to do it in a safe way, and here is how we're going to lead that process. For example, there's no reason all football players can't wear gloves. There's no reason they can't have face shields. Most of them, not most of them, some of them do. You know, the black that you see. You know, so you could just do clear plastic on the inside or dark plastic, whatever. Um, Volleyball players could wear nitrile uh, gloves. Um, you, you know, so there's lots of, lots of, uh, uh, different things that can be done for the sports where there is close contact. Um, and I, I think what the state is telling us right now is these are going to be local decisions mm-hmm. unless the state were to say, no, no athletics at all. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but I, I really would like to see CIF. Uh, come out with a public statement saying that they're going to do all of these things because that would make school, this conversation in schools um, uh, would all have a little more hope, right? right? I mean, our students need that hope. Our parents need that hope. Our communities need that hope. And uh, I always say that, uh, you know, athletics is our number one intervention program. You take athletics out of the system, you're going to have a problem. Yeah. Um, and, and not just athletics, but FFA, band, all of our clubs, all of those uh, um, extracurricular opportunities is what brings our kids to school every day. 
We love our, our English and math teachers, uh, of course, but um, school uh, kids come to school to, to be able to participate in the wide variety of offerings that we have. So my position is if school is open, everything is open. And we will um, do all the social distancing uh, protocols that are feasible mm-hmm. and practical. All right. And, and from a budget point of view, we have to understand what that means on both sides of that, if it does happen or if it doesn't happen. Sure. So if we go with the first part there where we're, we were able to do it and we run sports in the fall because we are back, you see on the budget uh, presentation at the very beginning, we listed increased costs of about $1.5 million because everything he just talked about, making sure that those sports would run, will cost money. The, the helmets don't have face shields right now. We mm-hmm. don't have gloves. We don't have all of those types of things that would need to happen. Do we have to have two buses running instead of one because we need to spread people out a little bit more? All of those types of things would cost more, and that's why we had to build some costs into the budget in case those things are needed because we are able to run them. On the other side of that, if we're in the same situation we are today, which who knows what two months will bring us. But if we're in the same situation we are today and it doesn't happen, we don't want to lay people off and then all of a sudden find out that we we're doing distance learning in the fall and we don't have activities and I don't have to pay for referees expenses, extra travel costs, stipends for uh, sports that aren't happening. All of those things are savings and we let somebody go and now all of a sudden we have to go try to see if we can hire them back. You know, we, we can't do that. So we need to know what the expenses are or the savings are on both sides so that when we're putting the budget together, we can do the least drastic cuts that we need to, knowing that that's potentially going to happen one way or the other. Okay. Um, But the budget that we will present in June, barring any official term word from the state or CIF that there isn't going to be a fall, it is going to have the fall sports, athletics, all of that in the budget. Correct? Yes. Okay. Good. All right. Um, so, yeah, moving on into um, the following year, um, you, you have a slide about that. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what that looks like uh, if we continue on this path? And again, this is based on the governor's worst case scenario. Sure. Um, and as I see right now, you know, if you look at L.A. and San Francisco, that's not us. We, we understand there's major differences from that. But there's a lot of economic activity for the state of California that goes on in those two regions. And if they're Uh, lockdowns drag on longer than it does in the Valley, that still is going to be a loss of tax revenue for the state of California, not just for uh, the 2021 school year, but for the 21-22 school year. So when we're already talking about tax receipts, we're talking about a year off. So the shutdowns right now are going to be affecting that year as well. And so if we go by what the uh, governor's predictions are, then you would see the same type of cuts in the second year that you see in the first year. So any of those types of savings that we get because it's only a one-year expense or we could cut it for one year, we then have to worry about the fact that if we don't get those tax revenues in year two, what are we going to do for that? The example, the biggest example, of course, being the CARES Act from the federal government is going to give us about $3.5 million, just a little bit under that. I have no reason to believe that we will get a federal bailout in the second year. You know, we're talking about one in June for this year, but 
nobody's talking about one for 21-22 at this particular point. Now, of course, there's a lot of time between now and then. There's an election between now and then. So who knows what that's going to bring? We don't know, so we have to base it on the governor's may revise, which is the worst-case scenario, which means we then have to take that $3.5 million we are going to get this year and say we're not going to get it the year after. What types of cuts do we do for that? Luckily, we don't have to do that right now. You know, sure. We don't have to have those conversations until September, October, November, as we're starting to prepare for when the governor's January budget comes out for the following year. We only have to worry about the ones we can do for this year. And those conversations will be much more difficult than the conversations we're having now. Right. Okay. Um, noted. Uh, so you mentioned the ADA coming into, into um you know, into the plan here. How does that work? You said you looked at numbers from the recession and tell me about how that works. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of issues with uh, ADA. ADA is the average daily attendance. So that is how the state funds schools. So you don't get it based on enrollment. It's however many kids are in classes every single day and they take an average of that throughout the year. That's average daily attendance. That's how we get paid. There's two parts to that. The first one is in the last recession, we lost 100 students a year for six years. So during that time period, as the economy was going bad and before we got to a full recovery, mm -hmm. we were going down in enrollment. Since that time, we've been going up about 100 students mm -hmm. every year. Um, if we're assuming that this is going to last for a little bit of time and that the recession might go into next year, then we have to base it on the only information we know, which is the last recession. So we're going to build into the budget that we would lose 100 students per year. That could change. Um, one of the things that the state uh, legislature is talking about is how are we going to fund schools next year? Because if people have to do hybrid models, if we're still doing some distance learning, all of that kind of stuff, you can't use ADA. It doesn't work. They cut ADA off in February this year because they knew it wasn't going to work. They said... Whatever you had up till February, that's your rate for the rest of the year. So nothing that happened in March cost us money because students were in class and they were doing things online. If they pass a hold harmless, which means they basically use this year's ADA for us for next year, mm -hmm. then we wouldn't lose that 100 students. Even if the students weren't here, we wouldn't lose those students uh, as far as being reimbursed from the state. That's a million dollars. So back into our coffers that uh, we, we would be able to not have to make those types of cuts. Uh, and, and they're having real conversations about this because ADA is an interesting way to do things when you're talking about attendance is good, make sure every kid is in school every day. But now they're going, okay, wait a minute. All of these 90% attendance pushes, perfect attendance rewards, all of those things reward kids to come to school when they're sick. And that's how we fund schools. And so now they're deciding whether or not ADA is ever going to return. You know, mm -hmm. we, we have to go to some other way of figuring out how we want to reward, uh, pay for schools sure. rather than saying every kid is to be in class every day, even if they're sick. My guess next year is it will be based on enrollment mm -hmm. and enrollment from this year. Um, so we're going to give students the option. I mean, if we come back to, to school, uh, in, in August and, and regular school, we're going to have um, parents and students that are very tentative about that, yep. and understandably so. Um, so we, as a district, are going to have to uh, take care of their academic needs um, uh, remotely. 
And um, so we're not going to quibble with uh, folks about that. If they're not ready or not comfortable, we're going to provide an alternative opportunity. Okay. And you're actually, um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the email. You're, you're chairing a, a, a committee or something uh, across the county. Is that correct? Yeah, right? the, the county, um, there were three committees uh, uh, developed, a high school reopening, which uh, I'm chairing with the uh, uh, grand superintendent and uh, a middle school reopening because it's a little bit different mm-hmm. at, at every at every level. You know, so what are the non-negotiables? What are the expectations that everybody across the county can can count on? And, and of course, a, a K six reopening. So um, we did that uh, this week, and actually, those plans are being presented and discussed at noon today on a call with uh, the Merced County Health Department and all the superintendents. So we will get feedback on those plans. Um, uh, you know, in real time and uh, adjustments and amendments will be made. Um, but the, the plan is in. Uh, we expect school to uh, come back and be open uh, at full speed um, and including uh, all the social distancing um, uh, protocols that are feasible and practical. Okay. So yeah, I mean, we're already talking about it. What, what specifics can you tell us about the plan that was uh, submitted? Um, you know, the start date, um, um, just like in and out of class. Uh, you, you mean, yeah, start date would be the same. Regular. Okay. That's yeah. not changing. Everything would be the same. We're okay. not, we're not changing, um, uh, you know, beginning and end times. Um, you said that parents would have be given the choice or students yeah, would be given parents the choice. Would be given the choice across the County to keep their student at home. Okay. And obviously, those numbers will be higher in the elementary grades, um, and and probably lower in, in the high school grades. Okay. Uh, I, I think our numbers will be somewhere between ten and twenty percent. That would choose to stay home. That's what I think. Okay. And then if a parent, uh, they decide that they want to keep their kids home, but the student wants to <laughs> go to school. I mean, those are things we well, have that, to. The family has to work. <laughs> that one out. Yeah. Can't help them there. (laughs) Okay. Um, And just to touch real quickly on how fast the budget information changes is something as simple as this. Um, But again, it's timing on when they give us the information and we have to work off of what we know. So right now we don't know ADA. We don't know what they're going to do. And so we're predicting a hundred student loss. Mm -hmm. The minute that they pass the budget, and they put something in there that says we're going to be held harmless for ADA and we're at the same place we are right now, we get to say we don't have to cut a million to a million two. But they're going to probably do it the week after our budget is right. finalized. Yeah. Now, our budget is not in stone. As soon as they say that, we can go back and make the adjustments and we don't have to make those cuts. It's not like as soon as we pass that budget in June that that's firm for the rest of the year. Budget is a living document. Sure. As soon as we get more information, we get to make the adjustments and make those changes. But we have to make the we have to make certain decisions on certain timelines based on the best information we have, even though we know hopefully Mm -hmm. that some of that is going to change in our favor in July and August. Yeah, kind of how we were dealing when we first decided the decision to close down schools. You know, we were always in that room, you know, we were constantly getting new information and making decisions based on that information. We couldn't make long-term plans um, just because we didn't know what it was going to look like in, you know, in April and in May. And so it's, it's pretty much the same situation, right? Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Um, so uh, just a little bit more about going back to school. Is that going to be, um, and these are just things that I've heard, not from our district necessarily, but just, you know, staggering um, students, um, having lunch in classrooms, um, partitions, all that kind of thing. Um, have those been discussed or are they part of the plan at all? Yeah, I, you know, I think partitions, especially with in public places, um, you know, so like at the attendance counter in the SBO office and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're getting clarification on that from the county today on what's required and what's not. Do all employees need to wear masks all the time or just, you know, when, when other folks are around? Um, that's a question. Um, do students need to wear masks? Right. And same question, right? right? If they're alone, is that okay? If they're in the classroom? Um, so, so we need to get answers uh, on a lot of those things. You know, there's, there's basic protocols like um, um, uh, using hand sanitizer in and out of every class. Okay, that right there is a, a huge uh, uh, issue that uh, will, will cut down on the transfer of, mm-hmm. of any germs. So, and, and that's something we can all do easily. Yeah. Um, having students wipe down their desk area uh, when they leave every class. We can do that. Yeah, just make it a part of that. And, yeah. um, um, you know, because there's, there's been talk of, well, can you cohort kids? Mm, no, no, we can't. Mm-hmm. Not at the high, not school, at high level. school level. Um, we could cohort them if we didn't go to school every day mm-hmm. and only a quarter of the kids came. Well, that Then we could cohort them. But uh, I, I don't think there's anyone uh, in the educational community that's going to say that's the best way to educate a student in these times. Um, you know, we have to uh, take the science, take the data, and the data clearly shows that uh, students are, are less affected um, by great percentages uh, of, of this versus the rest of the, the population. Um, and, um, and just do, you know, uh, very basic and, and wise things like cleaning your desk every time you leave and, you know, uh, using hand sanitizer in and out of classrooms. We've talked about making hallways one way, heavy traffic areas, uh, one way, um, um, having protocols, uh, you know, for restroom use and, um, you know, really, really teaching staff and students at the beginning of the year how to make this work. And um, so I, I think we can do uh, uh, a lot of things. We've all learned, I think, in the last uh, few months uh, um, um, what works and, and what doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and our energy uh, as a country and a region, county, and community needs to be focused on the high risk uh, uh, folks, and and that's not our student population. Sure. And our, uh, our kids, we're educators. Mm-hmm. Our kids need, need an education. Right. And uh, that's what we're here for, and we need to be uh, open, and our community needs that. Our community needs to get back to work. I've heard that message loud and clear from uh, parents across all three communities. Uh, I've heard it from uh, uh, our uh, business owners. I've heard it from our board members. 
um, that people want to uh, get back to normal, but be as safe as possible doing it. Sure. And, and we mentioned talking to the students, asking them, asking the parents, uh, what's being done in regards to staff? I mean, are we, I mean, I know there was a, a survey sent out uh, asking them if they'd feel safe coming back to uh, to a school in the fall. Yeah, I mean, there, there's certainly going to be a percentage of, of teachers that are, are going to be tentative uh, about coming back. Um, yeah, um, some of our, our teachers are in that high-risk category. Sure. So um, certainly we're going to make every accommodation for those staff members that, that have medical issues. And like I said, we – we expect 10 to 20% of students to, to stay home this next year. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And guess what? We're going to have to have teachers that work with them remotely. So certainly some of those teachers that uh, are high risk, you know, will automatically uh, be offered, um, uh, you know, a remote uh, type position. And um, we, we will make it work. Cool. I mean, just like our slogan, a relevant education for all, right? That's right. All right. Um, so before we close out, just want to, um, any last thoughts on, on either the budget or opening uh, the school um, in the fall? I know that this the, the budget issues aren't unique to ours. Every school district's having the issue. However, you did mention at the board meeting that we're in a good position to handle something yeah, like I, this. Yeah, I will say it is unique in a positive way. Um, you know, we've been responsible the, the last uh, five to to seven years and and we have built up reserves and um and and this is why we do it things happen in life emergencies happen and we're going to have an emergency and i want employees to hear me loud and clear uh we do not expect to have any layoffs for this next year um unless for some reason the, the budget gets worse than what is being uh, discussed right now. Sure. And, um, and I, I, I say that's unique because that, that is not the way it will be in every district. Uh, the majority of districts in our state will be laying people off. All right. And, um, and the last thing I would say is we have to plan for the worst on our timelines knowing that we're hoping for the best and we're pretty confident that it's not going to be the worst case scenario. But based on the timelines that we have to pass our budget, we do have to plan for that. But we are pretty confident right now that that's not the scenario that's going to end up at the end of July and starting of school of August of where we're actually going to be at. All right. I'll give you one last final word, Mr. Peterson. Next week is graduations. One more message out to this the senior, there's a class of 2020 as they head out into uh, the next stage of their life. Yeah, well, boy, the class of 2020 got a, a early early education on on uh, what it means to uh, persevere and deal with difficulty and uh, come out uh, shining on the other side. And I know there is a whole lot of disappointment out there still. And and like I've told you many times, I'm I'm dealing with my own uh, high school senior that is dealing with all those feelings uh, and an emotion. And a, and, a, and a college senior that is missing out on, you know, the most important experience uh, in her life to date. And so, yeah, I, we all understand the disappointment. And I just want everybody to know we're doing the very best we can within the circumstances um, uh, we're all dealing with uh, to give them the best send off uh, possible. You know, our board wanted uh, to 
to give our, our students and parents options. Um, so we have a June option um, uh, that is the best we can do right now. Sure. And uh, it's going to be good. Uh, it's going to be fun. And I, I hope the class of, of 2020 feels uh, honored by the um, experience they're going to have at their school sites because I know uh, all the principals, uh, admin, and staff members are working hard to make that a pretty cool thing. It will be different. <laughs> it won't be the same. Um, and But, it, but uh, I expect it to be uh, very nice. So... Uh, along with that, if we are able to do a more traditional uh, graduation in August, I want to be clear, there will be no full group, full class graduation this year mm-hmm. at, in any month. Yeah. They have, public health has made that clear to us. But if we could do 50 to 100 graduates at a time uh, by then, certainly we will offer our, our students uh, that opportunity then. Nice. Good positive note to go out on. Thanks again, Mr. Peterson and Dr. Weimer for uh, joining us. And uh, thank you all for listening. Impact is a production of Merced Union High School District's Communications Department. To keep up on all things MUHSD, check out our website, muhsd.org, or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Our handle is at MercedUHSD across all platforms. And again, thanks for listening.